burnout doesn't have to be the end. Uh, in fact, for many leaders, it's the beginning to a new and better way of leading. Welcome to the Stream Roots Podcast, where you'll learn how God's unchanging truth can be applied in our ever-changing world. Through conversations with pastors and ministry leaders, you'll be encouraged, equipped, and challenged in your walk with Christ. Stream Roots is designed for pastors and leaders in the church, but is helpful for all people. And now your host, Pastor Mark Pospisil. So glad to have you join us for this episode on A Weary Leader's Guide to Burnout. This is part two. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and do that right now. We had Pastor Sean Nemechek, who just wrote this book about A Weary Leader's Guide to Burnout. And we talked about all the issues for what burnout is and how you get to that spot and just have some of his own personal testimony and story and experience. Now we want to talk about how do, how do you actually recover from this or how do you avoid this? And so, Sean, thanks for being back. Uh, I want to ask you this question. How does someone who is burned out or in burnout begin to recover? Yeah, that's a really important question. Um, one of the things I tell the pastors I coach is that uh, you really can't recover from burnout on your own. Mm. Um, you're going to need some help. Uh, most of us get into burnout largely through isolation, uh, through shame and anxiety that leads us to pull back from people. And so the first step, I believe, is to start connecting with some safe people, uh, whether it's a friend or a mentor. Um, you really need some people who can speak into your life and who can hear what's going on in your heart and in your soul. Uh, I had to form a team of people. Uh, I, I had a friend. I found a mentor. Um, but then I also hired a ministry coach, uh, a counselor, and a spiritual director um, and used all of those different relationships for different reasons to really help me dig down deep um, and figure out what was going on. Um, now, I'm not saying everybody has to have all five of those types of relationships, um, but each one can really uh, be beneficial. So it it starts with reconnecting with people. Um, and then next, it's reconnecting with who we are in Christ. Um, it's it's really digging deep into our identity in Christ, our union with him, and all the implications that that has. And so in the book, um, I I take a large section um, just to explore the in Christ statements of the New Testament and what Scripture really says about what it means to be united to Christ, to be in Christ, and um, just how secure we are in God's love for us. Um, and it's those things that really help us form the foundation for the inner work that we have to do uh, in order to recover. Love it. Okay, so reconnect with people or save people and reconnect with who we are in Christ. Those are those are the things that you begin to recover with is, is recapturing this. So so my let me just give you a question from that. So when I feel like I'm gonna get sick, I think we all can relate to this. I just take a ton of vitamin C, like an overwhelming amount, <laughs> and you know, and I drink this thing called apple cider vinegar, oh, which yeah. is 
probably the worst thing ever created. No. Like the taste of it. <laughs> it's delicious. Man. Oh my gosh. But when I know that I'm starting to feel like, uh, I'm starting to feel run down, I'm just chugging down vitamin C like it, it gets my lifeline and I'm drinking apple cider vinegar. So, well, maybe someone's not burned out, right? And, and, and they, but they see themselves getting to that spot. They see themselves starting to get this fatigue and feeling this, maybe this little areas of hopelessness. What would you say for them to do, right? What are some uh, things that they could do to avoid it? Just like when I feel like I'm starting to get sick, I'm, I'm, I'm eating apple cider, drinking apple cider vinegar and eating vitamins. Yeah. Like there's nobody's business. What, what, what would you say, Sean, for somebody who's in that spot? Like, Hey, I'm not burned out yet, but man, I, I feel very weary. I feel very tired. Well, beyond connecting with friends and, and, uh, other people and, and reconnecting with Jesus, um, I'd say, check your rhythms of work and rest. Okay. Um, we have a, a really strong sense of the Protestant work ethic in the United States, but we've lost what the Protestant rest ethic was. Yep. Um, you know, they, they used to take a, a, a regular Sabbath every week. I highly recommend that to the pastors that I work with. Um, it usually takes them a few weeks to figure out how to find that time again. Um, but finding a regular Sabbath rest, a time where you can focus on replenishing your own energy and nurturing your own soul um, is essential. Find things to do that are fun, that uh, you just enjoy for the sake of doing them, whether it's a hobby or playing a sport or games of, of some kind. Um, yeah, it, just do the things that you need to do to to de-stress through rest and recreation um, so that you can have a little bit more clarity for rethinking the, your approach to work. Um, and I think that's that's really what most of us uh, have to do is we start to approach burnout and we, we realize we're getting to that cliff edge. We're about to fall over that edge. Um, we can't keep living on that edge. We have to think about how, how can I rethink my uh, rhythms of work and rest, the way I approach my work, so that I can be more sustainable and uh, more effective for the long term? Yeah, Sean, let me ask you a couple of questions on that. So you said, rethink yeah. your rhythms of work and rest, and you said Sabbath. That's like the solution to that Sabbath. So can you talk about what that would mean for just uh, uh, someone's day with work and rest? week and maybe even the year like how, how do you how do you plan that out well to avoid burnout to recover from it and to avoid it yeah so daily we we go through different rhythms of energy throughout our day most of us have about three to five hours where we're um, very productive um, and then several hours where we're hardly productive at all and so <laughs> recognizing the the natural rhythms of our body throughout the day uh, I actually uh, encourage my uh, coaching clients to chart their energy for about six weeks. Um, so every morning, mid-morning, lunch, mid-afternoon, evening, uh, just notice how your energy level was during that period of time, what your mood was like, and then over a period of about six weeks, you start to see some patterns. Mm. Um, during my week, you know, I might be really down on Mondays. I might be tired on Mondays. A lot of pastors feel that because they're still carrying stress from Sunday. Um, 
they might have Wednesdays are really good days or Thursdays are really good days. Uh, so you're finding within your day and within your week the, the rhythms where you have the most energy. And then the key is to do your most important work when you have your best energy. Um, and when your energy is at its lowest to schedule times for rest and recovery uh, or um, just times with Jesus to replenish your soul. Hmm. Um, so and then you want to work into that one day a week where uh, you're just using that day to cease from your work and to receive God's good gifts. And just remember, he's the one that's in control and we are not. Um, and so we we worship him on that day. Um, so that that's a, kind of a daily and weekly rhythm. I also recommend a monthly rhythm of trying to take one day uh, a month where you just review your previous month in God's presence. We spend time in prayer over the next month and you just kind of figure out where was it that uh, that I noticed God with me and where was it that I uh, pulled away from God or I was ambivalent toward God uh, and why did that happen? And, and uh, as you do that, you begin to notice God's presence with you more and more uh, throughout the year. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I love that. I, I think for me, I found that, and I think this is why I can sustain a lot of ministry, that the importance of Sabbath for renewal, mm-hmm. of, of reconnecting to the Lord, just humbling yourself, also for family too. And and recently, yeah. over the last couple of years, I actually do this yearly where I take the month of July off from preaching. All right, my elders graciously— That's a great practice. Yeah, my elders graciously allowed me to do that just for refocusing, renewal. I still work, but um, I, li- I like to work, and but that's the point where I don't want to, you know, live to work. Um, and so, mm-hmm. so, but it just allows me to get some refreshment, some renewal, some re- re-energizing, what it may be. So, so in the month of July, just take that whole month off from preaching, and the church loves it. They're like, hey, we want you can take more time off if you like. You know, we want that. We want you to make sure that you're healthy spiritually, mentally, physically, all those things. And so those really, really have been important things. And then for me, this is just me speaking, uh, we do a, 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 a vacation once a week. I mean, once not once a week, once a year. Uh, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> yeah, I got a pretty good thing going over here. Uh, vacation once a year for uh, at least a week with my whole family where no work, no anything. And then we do small little ones here and there, but those are things that we just don't compromise on. We do it every year. Mm-hmm. We keep those rhythms and routines going. All right. Love it. Um, so you talk about these spiritual practice Sabbath. This is the way of avoiding this. This is the way of being renewed in it. Can you talk about like, uh, you, you mentioned this idea of three ways of reading scripture. What, what is, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think, uh, especially within kind of larger American evangelical culture, uh, there's a heavy emphasis on studying Scripture, you know, reading Scripture to understand what it says. But there's other ways of reading Scripture that uh, we miss when we only focus on that one. I, I think that one is important, and it's it's definitely something we should be doing. But we should also be reading Scripture a little bit more devotionally to relate to God, Um but just to understand theological propositions or how the books fit together or what they're saying, but to actually learn the character of God, to, to know Jesus, to see who he is, to um, understand his heart and his ways, um, to really uh, just connect with him on a personal level. Uh, mm-hmm. I think sometimes when we approach Scripture 
um, we're just doing it to to get our reading done for the day or to prepare the next sermon. But uh, for me, part of my recovery was to read scripture and just ask the Holy Spirit as I read to show me something new, to put his finger on something in the passage that I was reading and and uh, something that I needed just for me. Um, and so that relational reading of scripture uh, is really important and connected to that, I think, is is a, also a meditative reading of scripture where we're not just reading it, but we're taking time to slowly uh, kind of chew on a passage and not just to understand it, but to to make it part of who we are, to transform our own hearts according to the word of God, to be more like Jesus. Um, so we, we don't just learn who he is and what his character is like, but we try and reshape our own character to be more like Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so those, those three different ways, uh, kind of reading it for understanding, reading it for relationship, and then reading it for heart transformation, uh, all complement one another. And um, I find that when pastors only read uh, to understand, uh, their preaching ends up being kind of dry. Um, it's, it's all information download. Uh, when they, they miss that, then they tend toward error and, and get into theological problems. Um, but when we include the, the relational and meditative aspects, it, it really deepens our preaching and helps us to uh, connect with the people that we're preaching to uh, on a deeper level as well. Yeah, I'm not treating God's Word just like it's a textbook. Um, but, right. But it's it's a living, breathed-out Word of God, and the Spirit's inspired it, and He works through it. So, yeah, I love that. Okay, uh, what about, so, you know, you get this idea of Sabbath. Yes, great. Praise God. D different ways of reading Scripture. Yes. What about lament? So, why mm. you, you mentioned lament, which I've read a few books and things on um, burnout. I don't know if I've ever seen people bring up lamenting. So tell me, can you tell us what you mean by that and why it's important? Yeah. So burnout always involves loss of some kind, um, whether it's a loss of our personal identity, whether it's a loss of our sense of call. Uh, often there's losses in relationships and things. Um, and I find a lot of pastors burn out because they haven't properly grieved the losses in ministry. Um, you know, burying friends is hard work, uh, and it's we get so focused on caring for the people around us as they're grieving, we forget to take time to grieve ourselves. And so the practice of a lament helps us to really connect with the deep sense of uh, how broken this world is, you know, what's wrong with the world, and to simply honestly state that before God. Um I think uh, it helps us to to avoid feeling like we have to dress up our words so that they're acceptable to God. But instead, we just come to God with raw, honest emotion, uh, speaking exactly what we think, exactly what we feel. Um, and this is an act of faith. We know that God is big enough to handle our complaint, our disagreement, um, and we pour out that emotion before him. And as we do, we find that uh, th that cathartic moment of just running out of things to say, you know, um, maybe it's it's such a deep emotional experience that that our tears dry up. We just have no more tears to cry. But at the end of it, when all that emotion is spent, when all those tears are gone, 
all we're left with is God and his continual faithful presence. Mm. And it's getting all of that raw um, stuff out of us that helps us to see God's love for us again. And I've found there's a deep connection between the practice of lament and real joy in Christ. Um, in fact, it, it's lament is, is an avenue toward joy for me now. Uh, if I find there are things I'm just struggling to find joy in my life, it's usually because there's some grief that I haven't brought to God yet. Um, and when I do that, joy opens up again. Um, so the practice of lament, I think, is essential. It's a spiritually transformative practice. Uh, and thankfully, we have about a third to half of the Psalms uh, give us examples on how just how to do that. And they're raw, they're honest, but they're also expressions of faith in God. And uh, God meets the psalmists where they are, and he, he'll do the same for us. Mm. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's a good point. And bringing our, there's a whole book, Lamentations. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to uh, a guy a couple of days ago, and he he heard a message about lamenting, and he's like, write down a lament that you want to bring to God, and that he's like, keep this with me wherever I go for the last like six years, and change my life, just writing out my prayer, and something I wanted to lament, mm-hmm. and bring it, bring my grief to God, and it, it forever changed me. It's powerful. It's powerful stuff. All right, and then you, you also mentioned this idea of holy indifference, and how that can keep us from burnout and also help us recover from that. What do you mean by this holy indifference? Yeah, so one of the things that often leads to burnout is uh, the frustration from not having our dreams met. You know, we we come into ministry with all these ideas. We're going to change the world. We're going to turn this church around, whatever the ideas are. Um, And then the reality hits and it doesn't happen and we get frustrated. Um, a lot of times that's because we haven't taken the time to really think through what does God want for me and from me in this place. Um, the prayer of holy indifference is what we see uh, Mary praying at the Annunciation when the angel tells her she's going to have a child. And eventually she, she says, let it be done to me according to your word. Um, she doesn't argue. She doesn't fight back. She just says, whatever your will is, God, that's what I want. We also see Jesus praying this in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. Um, the prayer of holy indifference is really just a prayer that we're asking God to help us to be indifferent toward everything but his will, so that we want his will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Um, and it, it's really a miracle that God has to do in our hearts because it means giving up some of our own desires, some of our own dreams, uh, so that we can get fully on God's plan. And, um, you know, it's really one of the prayers that we're praying in the Lord's Prayer uh, when we, we pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. Um, and so really recognizing those those prayers that what we're trying to do is really get on God's plan and not ours. Um, and so we have to we have to ask God to do that work in our heart, to make us indifferent toward anything but his will. Uh, that doesn't mean we stop loving people and, and we're callous and cold. Actually, it, it opens us up to loving people in a new way when we surrender to God in that way. 
um, we're able to love better, we're able to care for people better, uh, and God gives us a new sense of vision for the future that's more rooted in Him and not so much in the, um, the techniques or the things that we learn at conferences or the different inspiring messages that, that we get from the business world or different leadership books. It's, it's really just rooted in being with the Father and learning His will and His ways. Mm. Sometimes it's hard for people to pray those prayers. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's really a miracle of God to be able to say that you're indifferent toward everything, but God's will, it doesn't happen all the time. Uh, it's not a constant thing, but when it does happen, it is really beautiful. Mm. Love it. Love it. Okay. Um, one, one last question here, Sean, what does a yeah. healthy leader look like? What would you say, you know, you, from your experiences here, God's word and all these different aspects, and what does a healthy leader look like? Yeah, so I've got a few different uh, words that I use to, to convey what I think a healthy leader looks like. The first one is a healthy leader is real. Uh, that is, they're, they're not putting up a false front. They're not self-protecting. They're just being honest uh, and vulnerable with who they are, where they're at. They know themselves, um, and they're being real with people. Uh, that doesn't mean we're revealing everything, but uh, we're, we're not trying to project an image that isn't true. Um, the second word I use is they're connected. They have deep relational connections. They have friends. They have mentors. They have professional connections. They, they have relationships with other pastors. They're not isolated anymore. Um, the, the third is uh, a healthy leader is purposeful. They, they have a sense of what God has designed them to do and to be, and they're really live, living and leading out of their strengths. Um, not so much worried about their weaknesses, but they're really focusing on the gifts that God has given them uh, and the way he is leading. Uh, and so they, they have a sense of where they're going um, and what God wants from them. And then um, because of that, they're also brave. They're willing to take some risks uh, because they know uh, just how secure they are in Christ and in God's love for them. Uh, they know that even if they fall flat, um, if the risks they take don't work, it doesn't touch who they are. Um, they're really connected with Christ in that way. And so they're able to to take some big risks for the kingdom of God. Um, and then lastly, they're gracious. They're gracious not just with uh, the people who like them, but they're gracious with themselves and even with their critics. They're, they're able to respond um, with curiosity when people disagree uh, rather than defensiveness. They're able to, uh, to really um, want what's best for the people in their lives. Um, and so they're able to resolve conflict rather than get entrenched and, and uh, defensive. So, uh, yeah, just to review those, I... I I think a healthy leader is someone who is real, who's connected, who is purposeful, who is brave, and who is gracious. Mm, love it. All right, great. I, I love it. John, any last thoughts? No, I, I just think that's 
That's really fantastic. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks, Sean, for being here. Um, can you talk about where we can find your book at? It will be on Amazon and other places. Yeah, you can find it wherever you buy Christian books. Amazon will have uh, paperback, you know, the Audible version, the Kindle version, but uh, you can also go to your local bookstores. We also we love local stores, uh, so wherever you you want uh, to buy your books, go get it. Um, yeah, I just I just let me just end by saying something. Um, burnout doesn't have to be the end. Uh, in fact. For many leaders, it's the beginning to a new and better way of leading. Mm, if they're it. willing to do the work to to become resilient, they can be better leaders uh, after recovery. Yeah. So thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great job. I love it. Looking forward to reading more of the book. Uh, let me sign off here. Stream Roots is a production of Barnabas Ministries. You can learn more at BarnabasMinistriesMI.org. That's BarnabasMinistriesMI.org. .org. We release an episode every Monday morning. Stream roots drawing deep from the living water of God's Word. <laughs>